All right, let's pray together. We'll dive into Psalm 19. Oh God, we thank you so much for your word. God, thank you that your word is perfect, that it is sure, that it is right, that it is true. Lord, we thank you that your word is alive and it is active, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. So God, we pray that you, by your spirit, would use your word to stir up an adoration for Jesus in such a way that leads us to action today. God, we pray that we would be doers of the word and not just hearers. pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, 2015 is, uh, is quickly coming to uh, a close here, and uh, the new year is right around the corner. And so if you're anything like me, you typically sit down during this time of year and you look at areas of your life. You look at areas of your life in which you want to improve on, that you want to do better. And so you make the new year's resolutions, right? And, uh, and so and if you're anything like me, you typically... Uh, hit about the springtime, and you kind of give up on those resolutions, you know, those resolutions that you're so fired up about uh, that you're going to commit to all year, you typically give up uh, towards the spring. And uh, in fact, 45% of us will make a resolution this year, and yet only 8% of us will actually complete that resolution. Only 8% of us will actually fulfill the resolution that we had uh, in the beginning of the year. And it's kind of interesting. It got me wondering, why is that the case? Why do only 8% of us fulfill our resolutions? And so I did a little bit more research, and, and I was wondering if it had anything to do with what we make resolutions about. And in fact, almost 50% of our resolutions are centered on ourselves. They're centered on self-improvement. They're centered on losing weight or uh, working on our finances or going to the gym X amount of times this year. It's, it's all about ourselves. And I know for the Beals family, uh, we're going to make a resolution this year of instead of watching Frozen 30 times a day, we're going to watch it four times a day. So that's, that's our resolution for this year. But in all seriousness, I, I think it's obvious that we live in a culture that is obsessed with self that we live in a culture that's all about preserving ourselves and advancing ourselves and improving ourselves. And so we tend to make resolutions that revolve around ourselves. So I don't know what type of resolution you have for yourself this year, if you've even stopped to think about that. And maybe you're here and you're not really into the whole resolution thing, but let's just pretend that you are. What, what kind of resolution do you have this year for yourself? What type of improvements do you want to make in your life. And as you're thinking about that, I just want to propose something for us as a church, that for 2016, what if we had a different kind of resolution? What if instead of focusing on self-improvement in some superficial way, what if we had a resolution that was centered on God? What if our resolution was, was not just about losing weight or working on our finances What if we had the resolution that was all about immersing ourselves in the Word of God this year? That what if you and 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 what if what if I made a resolution this year to fill our minds, to fill our hearts, to fill our lives with God's Word? Just think about that for a moment. Think about the kind of impact that would have on on maybe you as a parent, or you as a spouse, or you as a friend or a roommate, or or the kind of impact that would have on our church or, or this community if we committed ourselves 
to making a resolution where we are immersing ourselves in the Word of God every single day this year. And, and not, not the type of resolution where we, where we just read through the Bible in a year, and, and that can be good, but, but the type of resolution where we use the book, we use the Word of God to make our souls happy in the Lord, as George Mueller puts it, where we use the Word of God to stir up our affections for Christ towards obedience, to where we're actually transformed by the word, not just gaining more information, not just gaining more head knowledge. What, what better resolution could there be? And so that's my aim this morning, that as we move through this psalm, I, I almost want to ask King David, who wrote the psalm, the question, why should this be our resolution for 2016? Why should immersing ourselves in the word be our commitment for this year? And so as we move through this psalm, He's going to provide four reasons why that should be our resolution. And so um, before we walk through those reasons, I do want to set the context for Psalm 19 to give it, get a better understanding of what's going on here. The general outline of this psalm, or, or the way that this psalm can be uh, broken down, is as follows. Uh, verses 1 through 6 deal with the creation's speech about God and about who God is. And then, and then verses 7 through 11 deal with the Scripture's speech about God and who God is. And then verses 12 through 14 deal uh, with the servant's speech about God and who God is. And one thing that we learn about this psalm is that David is trying to describe who God is. The psalm is, is incredibly beautiful. In fact, C.S. Lewis called this psalm the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. And King David, as he moves through this, this psalm, he focuses on the majesty and, and the handiwork of God as creator, but also he focuses on the revelation of God through his word. And in fact, there is this shift that takes place in this psalm that if you read the psalm in, in just one standing, you notice this intentional shift that David makes from verses 1 through 6 about focusing on creation and how creation describes God and then it moves through verses 7 through 11, focusing on Scripture's revelation of God. And, and you can almost feel this shift. And even in the language, it moves from just this voiceless praise of glory through creation to more of a personal language describing who God is in this special revelation of God's Word. And so as we move through our section today, focused only on verses 7 through 11, I don't want us to miss that shift I don't want us to miss that focus of, of how David is kind of transitioning to, to more about learning God personally and intimately through his word. That if we know about God through creation, we know about God personally through his word. And so let's dive into Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11, trying to answer the question, why should our resolution for this year be to immerse ourselves in God's word? Here's number one the sufficiency of God's word, the sufficiency of God's word. This is really all over uh, this psalm here. But notice the way that David describes the scriptures here. He calls it the law, calls it the testimony, the precepts, the commandment, the fear of the Lord, the rules of the Lord, all referring to scripture. That scripture is authoritative, that it's sufficient, that it's clear, that it's necessary, that it gives us everything we need for life and godliness. And not only that, but notice the sixfold repetition that David makes here, referring to Scripture as being of the Lord. 
that Scripture is, is not only from God, but it is of God. Notice this here, the, the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, and so on and so forth, that God has spoken with a law, with testimonies, with precepts, and it's from Him. And yet not only that, but David further describes God's Word as being perfect and sure in verse 7, as being right and pure in verse 8, clean and true and endures forever, altogether righteous in verse 9, that God's Word is sufficient, or in other words, that it's clear enough to make us responsible for carrying out our responsibilities to God. And the New Testament actually reinforces this and echoes the same thing that we learn in the psalm. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. 2 Peter 2, verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 says this, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the impulse of man, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoken from God. That the scriptures are from God, that they are the word of God. And I know that, that this whole reality is like preaching to the choir at College Park Church. That, that we all agree about the authority of God's word, the sufficiency of God's word. I mean, this is one of our core values, the authority of God's word. So, so I know that we all really agree to that reality. But the implications of that truth is astounding. That if we really do believe that the Word of God is authoritative, that it does have the final say, what that means is that this book, God's Word, has the authority to speak into every area of our lives. That, that the Word of God tells us how to parent, that it tells us how to be a spouse, that it informs us how to think politically, how to engage with the narrative of culture. That God's word informs us of what is right and what is wrong. And so we might agree to this reality that, that God's word is authoritative and it's sufficient. But the implications is that we go to the source of God's word for every decision that we make. That God's word dictates what our purpose of life is. That God's word informs us of what the meaning of life really is. I remember having just this conversation uh, growing up in high school and in college often about the authority of God's Word. I remember being even at Cedarville, and, and so many of my friends would say, yeah, yeah I like the Bible, but, but I really, really love Jesus. Have you ever had someone say that to you where they don't really care much for the Bible, especially the Old Testament, but they really, really love Jesus and they'll, they'll do whatever Jesus says? See, what, what's underneath that claim it is a failure to understand and believe that God's word is inerrant, that it's authoritative, that it's sufficient, that it gives us everything we need for life and godliness, including who Jesus is, including what it means to have a relationship with him. And so for us to actually believe and to be utterly convinced that God's word is authoritative, that it's sufficient, that it gives us everything we need to live this life in godliness means that it has permission to speak into how we live our lives, that it does have the final say, that, that culture doesn't have the final say in our lives, that where we're looking for answers or purpose, we, we don't go to the entertainment world or we don't go to the news or we don't go to Google, we go to God's Word because it is sufficient and it is authoritative. 
And so the reason why this should be our resolution is because God's Word is true, that it is authoritative. Well, not only that, but God's Word produces things in our lives, that there are outcomes that we experience with God's Word. This is another reason why we should immerse ourselves in the book, into God's Word. It's because there are outcomes that's produced in our lives. I remember in high school, sitting at a coffee shop with my Bible closed. And I remember thinking to myself, does this book actually work? Does God's Word do anything in my life? I I don't know if you've ever said that out loud, or maybe you've, you've thought that to yourself, but... I remember in high school just looking at the Bible, and, and I, I know it's true, I, I know it's authoritative, but I was just wrestling with, does this book have any impact on how I live my life day in and day out? I don't know if you've ever wondered that yourself, but I love how David almost takes that question head on in our passage. That David, in fact, shows us three different outcomes that, that the book, that God's Word produces in our lives. And so let me just point out those three here. The first one in verse 7a is that we see that the law of the Lord is perfect and that it revives our soul. That God's Word, when we read it, it revives our soul. Now this word revive in the Hebrew can mean to restore. It can also mean to return or to repent. That in fact, one of the more common uses of this verb is to describe human repentance and obedience to God in his word. Even more so, if you have the New King James Version, it says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. That as God's word is perfect, as in not opposed to imperfect, but as opposed to incomplete, its effect on the soul who reads it and applies it is to call us back to relationship with God. That this book turns us, it causes us to repent. And the means by which God does that is the Bible. And so I don't know about you, but that's really good news for me. That I, I know the issues that I struggle with. I know the struggles in my own life. I know my, my own sin. And so to know that, that God's word convicts me, that God's word, one of the effects, one of the outcomes is that it turns me in repentance is really good news for me. I mean, we sing that song, Come Thou Fount. And there's a line in there that resonates with me. It says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And I don't know about you, but that, that hits me almost every time because I, I know my own struggles and I know how much I need the Bible every day to, to turn me in repentance. And yet I wonder, how often do I, how often do we approach God's word with that expectation, that with the expectation that this book is going to convict me and this book is going to turn me in repentance. Do we have that type of expectation that we're convinced that this book is going to do something in my life when I read it? See, I think it's so easy to to reduce the Bible to something that just makes us feel better about ourselves, isn't it? I mean, how easy it is to reduce the Bible to just something that we read and we check it off our list and then we walk on and we, we move on with our life and we, we feel more spiritual, we feel more religious and yet we're not more transformed into the image of Christ. Where we kind of reduce this book to just gaining more head knowledge, gaining more information instead of approaching the text saying, God, 
change me. God, expose my sin. God, do something with this book in my life because I need to repent today. This book is is sharper than any two-edged sword, and so it's something that we need every day to allow it to turn us in repentance. That's one of the outcomes that David points out for us in this psalm. Another outcome that we see in this psalm, and in the second half of verse 7, and, and even in, in verse 8, I'll just combine this one, is that the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple, and also verse 8b, that the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So another outcome here is that the word of God makes wise the simple, and it enlightens the eyes. So this word simple comes from a root word that means an open door. And so a simple-minded person is somebody whose mind is just always open. The simpleton was the person who didn't have enough discernment or understanding or wisdom to know what to accept and what to reject. And so the Word of God will teach us how to close the door in our minds. It will teach us how to be wise. But in the Hebrew here, wise means skilled in all aspects of living. That the Word of God will train us to be skilled in how to live by enlightening our eyes to knowing what is true and what is right and what is wrong. That the more that we immerse ourselves in this book, the more godly we become. The more informed we are of what is right and what is wrong. That, that our eyes are open, that we have discernment to be able to make right decisions. And so another outcome is it makes us wise. Well, not only that, but there's a third outcome in this psalm. Look at verse 8. David says that the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Another outcome of God's word is that it makes our hearts sing, that it, that it brings us joy. I mean, how, how easy it is to forget that about God's word. That I know for me that I can, I can look at my time in the word as just something I check off my list and And a lot of times I'm kind of almost dreading it. And yet David informs us that one of the outcomes when we read it is that it rejoices our hearts. And I know most of us have experienced the reality of that. That if we've been discouraged or or downcast or or just going through a difficult time and we read something in God's word and it it just causes us to to rejoice again. Or, Or one of our friends or or a close relative just gives us a verse to read, and we, we soon, we, we, we feel our hearts just get this joy in our hearts. And something that the Word of God does is that it helps us to look upward. It helps us to look away from our circumstances and, and what we feel, and it helps us to look upward at God, which causes us to rejoice. Now, if you, if you look at this psalm, and you just kind of stand back for a moment, and, and you see how... God through David in this psalm is just laying out for us all of the outcomes that God's word produces in our lives. We can see that God's word does something to us. That when we read scripture, that it's producing things in our lives. And so there's really this challenge that when we read God's word and, and we walk away unchanged, it's usually because we're not walking into God's word with an expectation that it's going to change us. Have you ever had that feeling where you've been at a restaurant or you're, you're in the drive-thru or you can kind of see your food and you haven't tasted it yet, but, but you, you know it looks good, but you haven't really tasted it? You, you start to grow in your heart this expectation 
and this anticipation of, of man, this food is going to taste amazing. Like you're at Chipotle and you're going through the line and you see your food right there, but you haven't tasted it yet. There's this expectation and this anticipation that just grows in your heart. Do you have that type of expectation with God's word? Do you have that type of, of longing to be filled with the word of God? Do you have that type of just lean-in posture when, when you approach the text that, that you're going to devour God's Word and it's going to change you? It's going to do something with you. Imagine the kind of impact that our time in the Word would, would have if we would have that type of expectation, that type of longing and anticipation that, that God's Word is going to produce something in our lives. So that's the second thing. So we, we've seen that that God's word is authoritative, that it's, it's sufficient. We've seen that God's word produces certain outcomes in our lives. Well, let's look at the desire of God's word. Verse 10, the desire of God's word. David says this, he says, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. That what David is claiming here is that God's word does something to our desires. That the word of God changes what we long for. That the more that we consume this book, the more that God's word changes our affections for the things of God. That the more we immerse ourselves in this book, the less attractive sin becomes. The less appealing the things of the world is when we actually submit ourselves to this text and we read it more and more. I mean, look at what David is claiming here. He's saying, I desire this book more than gold, that this book is sweeter than honey. Can you claim that this morning? That the way that you view this book, that you desire this book more than anything in this world, that this book, when you read it, is sweeter than honey. Is that true for you today? And, and maybe you're here and, and you would say, Chris, I, I don't desire the Bible. Like, I, I don't desire to, to spend time with God. That I agree that, that the Word of God is authoritative. I, I agree with you there. I, I agree that, that the Word of God does something to me, but, but I just don't desire it. I, I just don't, I don't want to read it. And, and so what do I do? Well, my response to that would be first, that I've experienced that in my own life. That I've gone through seasons where I just don't desire the book like I should. I don't desire it more than anything, the way that David claims. And so the first thing I want to say is that you're not alone. In fact, I, I guarantee if I polled people today that if you've gone through a season where you haven't desired the book, I think most of us would agree that you've experienced that in your own life. But the second thing that I would say is that Scripture doesn't really outline for us a step-by-step -step equation in order to generate a desire for God's book. I just, I don't see that in Scripture. But, but what I do see in Scripture, what I've experienced in my own life that stirs my affections for God and His Word is when I'm confronted with this question of, do I understand my true need? Do I understand that my greatest need in this world is to be immersed in the, in the book of God's Word? And so whenever I'm confronted with that question, I think to myself, okay, yeah, this is my greatest need, and so I'm going to make time for it. I mean, we do that all the time in, in all these other areas of our life, like brushing our teeth, hopefully, is one of those areas where we understand our need to brush our teeth. And so we make time to brush our teeth or, or to shower. Well, 
why can't we do that with God's word? Are we convinced that our greatest need is to spend time in God's word every day? And so I start asking myself that question that, yes, this is my greatest need. And so I start reading it, and it's in reading it that I see the glory of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but, but when I see Jesus in Scripture, it, it does something to me. It does something to my desires. It, it starts to awaken my affections for God because it's in Scripture that I, that I learn and I read about what my Savior has done for me. It, it's in Scripture that, that I learn that Jesus bore my sin on the cross. It's there in Scripture that I learn that, that Jesus was my substitute that he took my penalty, that he took everything that was, that was intended for me, he took it on the cross, and that does something to my desires. That when I read the word, I learn more about Jesus, and that awakens and that motivates me to get back into the word, and it starts to grow my desire for it. I, I love how, how Hebrews puts this. Hebrews chapter 1 says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power, that after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I love that. I love that because it's there that I, I read and I learn about Jesus, and it just grows this, this desire to read it more. So if you're here today and, and you'd say you're not a Christian, you're here and you're, you're searching or you're kind of wrestling with, with who this Jesus guy is, man, I would encourage you to, to read the Bible. Read the Bible more and more to get to know this Jesus in this text because I guarantee it's going to do something to you. That if you're not a Christian today, I just strongly encourage you to consider the worth and the magnificence of Jesus that will lead you to putting your faith in him. But if you're here today and you are a Christian, you're like, man, I, I just don't, I don't desire this book. I just encourage you to, to learn more about Jesus through reading the Bible I guarantee it'll do something to your desires. So, so far we've seen that scripture is sufficient, that it's authoritative. We've learned that there are outcomes that the Bible produces in our lives. We've learned that the book does something to our desires. And now the fourth is the invitation of God's word. Invitation of God's word. Look at verse 11 with me. And David claims, moreover, by them... Referring to Scripture, is your servant warned that in keeping them, there is great reward? Notice here that there's this invitation that Scripture provides for us. That when we obey Scripture, there's this reward that comes with it. And that's part of the aim of Scripture, that it's not just for more head knowledge, it's not just for more information, but part of the aim of Scripture is that we might be doers of the Word, not just hearers of it. That part of Scripture, what it wants to do is it wants to allow us to put into practice what we're learning about Scripture to obey what it's saying. And David even claims here that, that by it we're warned, that we're warned of paths that we need to avoid. We're warned of, of what is wrong, what is evil, what's going to steal our joy in God. 
What he also says is that by obeying it, there's a reward. So what reward is David referring to in this psalm? Well, what David's been claiming all throughout this psalm is that we can know God, that we know about God through creation, but in Scripture we can know God personally and intimately, and that is our reward, that we know God that we know him personally through scripture, that that is the great reward when we spend time, when we immerse ourselves in it. And so the question that we're confronted with this morning is, is that enough for you? Is it worth it for you? That, is, that, is that a great enough motivation to spend time reading the book? Is that you'll actually know God better? that you'll know God more personally and more intimately when you read the Bible. Is is it worth it to you? Is it worth getting up uh, a couple minutes earlier for you to spend time in it? Is that you will know God and you'll know God more intimately? That's part of, of this invitation of God's word is that it leads us into knowing God and to knowing God personally. So those are four reasons that David gives us here of, of just why we should immerse ourselves in God's word throughout the year is that first it's authoritative, that it is sufficient. That second, that there are outcomes that the book, that God's word does produce, that God's word changes our desires, and then that there is this invitation where God is just wooing us to his presence because there we find there is great reward. So before we we finish this morning, I want to just give some application this morning of just ways that we can carve out more time and spend time in God's Word. There's a great article by Gavin Ortland of five strategies for daily Bible reading that I took a couple here that I just want to share and just some things that I do in my own life. And hopefully this is of some help to you this morning. Here's number one. Carve out time in your schedule. Carve out time in your schedule that daily, just block off time where you're going to dedicate yourself to just reading God's Word. Again, we we do this in all kinds of different areas of our lives, that if you want to lose weight or you want to go to the gym, then then you're going to make time and you're going to work out. Well, let's apply that same principle to reading the Bible. Just block it off with your schedule. Number two here is find a friend. Find a friend, find an accountability partner, whether this be a spouse or a coworker or someone that you know is going to encourage you to read the Bible. That if you miss a few days or you just fall off the horse, that this person is going to check up on you. This person is going to ask you, hey, what are you reading? What are you learning? That maybe even this person is someone that you can read the Bible with, but find a friend that will help you and encourage you to read God's word. The third one here is keep it simple or short. Keep it simple or short. Let's, let's not overcomplicate this, especially if, if you're not in the habit of reading um, the Bible every day. You don't need 43 commentaries. You don't need to block off two hours of your time. You don't need the Greek New Testament, although that might be helpful, but you, you don't need that. If this is maybe your first time of just dedicating time to reading the book, just start with 10 minutes. Just start wherever you're comfortable and, and start to build on top of that. But don't overcomplicate this. That the goal is not time. The goal is, is to warm your heart to God by reading the Bible. And number four here, review what you've learned. 
review what you've learned. This is something that I've done recently over the last couple of years, is that in reviewing what you've been learning, it actually serves as a motivator to continue to read the Bible more and more. That if you journal, you can kind of look back on, on last year or last month or last week, and, and you can see the faithfulness of God in your Bible reading. That you can learn that, wow, I, I didn't desire God a year ago, but through daily reading the Bible, I've noticed my desires change. And you can actually review what you've been learning um, with this discipline. So review what you've learned. And then number five here, implement prayer and application. Implement prayer and application. That something that, that I do every time I read, I ask the question, because this is true, what needs to change in my life? That because this is true, what needs to change in my life? And what that question does, it just kind of throws me into application where, where I'm no longer just generally applying God's word, but I'm getting more specific and I'm trying to apply the word to my life. And then I'll actually pray on those applications. I'll pray through them in my life. And so I'm trying to marry prayer and daily Bible reading. And so hopefully those are of some help to you, just five tips. I'm sure there are more out there. But the question I want to leave for you this morning, that as you start to nail down what your resolutions will be for for 2016, I just want you to stop and think for a moment and, and just imagine that we're in this room a year from now, and, and we're slowly kind of closing 2016. And I want you to just imagine, if you take seriously the, just the challenge of, of immersing yourself in God's Word, just, just think for a moment what kind of person you would be, what kind of spouse that you would be, what kind of parent, what kind of friend, what kind of employee would you be if you took seriously this challenge to immerse yourself in God's Word every single day? And now I want you to imagine the opposite, okay? Imagine the complete opposite. What if you don't take this challenge seriously? What if, what if you don't immerse yourself in God's Word? Just think for a moment what kind of person that you would be a year from now. And, and here's the lie that we tend to believe, that if I don't immerse myself in God's Word a year from now, I'm just going to stay the same. I, I think that I think that so often we, we tend to believe this lie that, that I'm just going to stay neutral if, if I don't spend time in God's Word, that, that where I am now, I'm just going to stay the same next year. And, and Because in Scripture, we don't really have that category. We, we've got the category of pursuing God, of becoming more like Jesus, and then we've got this category of drifting away. And there's, there's really no neutral area of our life in our walk with God. And so if, if you don't take seriously this, this challenge of immersing yourself in God's word, you're slowly going to fall away from the Lord. You're going to be vulnerable to the temptations of this world. And so my challenge for you today is to make this resolution of immersing yourself every day in God's word and just slowly just see the Lord change you. See the Lord just grow your desires for him and for Jesus. Because I know that the battle that we face every single day is, is not necessarily believing that the, that the word is authoritative. I think we believe that. But the battle is how we should live in light of that reality. And so let it be true of us that we, that we desire this book more than gold, that this book is sweeter than honey, and just see what kind of church that we would be a year from now if we take this challenge seriously.
So let's pray together. God, we praise you and thank you again for your word. God, what a gift it is. And Lord, we confess to you how often we take it for granted. God, how often we ignore it. Lord, I thank you that it is sufficient. Lord, I thank you that it does have an effect upon our lives. God, that it does stir our affections towards you. God, thank you for the invitation of your word, that there is a reward of knowing you. And so, Lord, I pray that, that we would take seriously, Lord, just the challenge of meditating upon your word day and night. And God, would you spur us on towards that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for being here today. I hope you guys enjoy the new year. And, and next week, we'll see you guys here next week.